I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are producer Jeff Shane and the hosts of the hit podcast Sacred Scandal, Paula Barros and Melanie Bartley. Paula is a voice actress, comedian, writer, and producer. Melanie is a documentary filmmaker and producer. Paula can be found on Instagram at PaulieMe. And all episodes of Sacred Scandal can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 27, The Case of the Foursome, The Beach Vacation, and The Thrill of the Kill. On May 29, 2002, police received a phone call about a potential missing persons report. A couple had been vacationing in Ocean City, Maryland over Memorial Day weekend and failed to come home when the holiday ended. Friends and family were concerned about the couple. When police arrived at the couple's vacation rental condo, it looked undisturbed. Their car sat untouched in the parking lot. Meanwhile, police searched another condo nearby and discovered a very different scene. Bullet holes lined the wall. Blood had dried on the floor. A terrible crime had clearly been committed. Two nearly identical vacation units rented by two similar couples, both at the center of this beachside mystery. 
By the end of the police investigation, detectives realized that one duo was dead and the other were the killers. But how did these two romantic pairs cross paths and meet a violent and dreadful end? Let's go back to see how it all started. Here's Melanie. So let's talk about couple number one first, Joshua Ford and Jeannie Crutchley. They were both from Fairfax, Virginia. They were both successful business people. He worked as a mortgage banker and she was in insurance. They met at a Christmas party back in Boston and started dating. Two years later, when Josh was moving back to the DC area for work, Jeannie decided to come with him and so they moved in together. So it was a May-December relationship. There was a huge age gap there. Jeannie was 52 and he was 38. So I guess he was just smitten with her and they got together. Josh was also like really religious into the church, volunteering all the time. And Jeannie was not so much into that, but you know, it was still working out. She had been divorced before dating Josh, but everything was going great. And, you know, they went on this vacation to the beach and they thought this was going to be a wonderful, awesome escape from real life. And it's going to be fun. So, yeah, we, I mean, we hear a lot about relationships that kind of opposites attract. And it seemed like despite their age differences and maybe he was more religious than she was, they really seemed to have a connection. Definitely. And he was a good church boy, which, you know, after her having going through a divorce and stuff, she probably just wanted a good boy. And that was Josh. The other romantic pair at the center of this horrific crime was Erica and Benjamin Seifert. Erica grew up in Pennsylvania and came from a very rich family. As an only child, her parents had very high expectations for her. And she seemed to match those. She was an excellent basketball player and student. She graduated number one in her class. In college, she continued to play basketball and thrived, but off the court, she struggled. She had severe anxiety and OCD, which hindered her academic career. And so when she was in senior year, she meets Benjamin, or BJ as he was known. She meets him at a bar, right? And this guy's tall, fit, hot, everything she was looking for. He was a Navy SEAL stationed in the area. So she is smitten by him. They have the same thing in common, excellent in sports, also really smart. This is a guy that finished first in the Navy SEAL recruit class, you know, and he was the youngest one to do so. So yeah, he, he was a catch and she fell for him. I think they both started developing a wild side into the relationship. He was a binge drinker. They liked to party, all of that. And she joined him on that. But you know, when you ask people that knew him, they would say that he would drink for two days straight and get no sleep and go to sleep wasted. And then the next morning, wake up and go run a marathon and come in in first place. Just amazing. Wow. So it seems like this couple has more in common for both good and bad. They're both very smart, but also like to have a good time, maybe too good of a time. Definitely. They, yeah, they seem like a better, a better match. They're also around the same age. He's like the kind of guy who are just like so driven and works so much and they're just like perfect person and they can also party. And then the next day they're just fine and they can run marathons, but there's always, I felt like a little bit of a dark side to those people. I'm always like, there's, you're hiding something. You can't be this Perfect. Yeah. I've never been able to drink and then go run a marathon. So there's something there. Very suspicious. I would imagine Erica coming from this rich, well-to-do family that put a lot of pressure on her probably was attracted to the fact that not only BJ was smart and academic, but also liked to have a good time. Like she was probably so desperate to let loose that that was appealing to her. Yes. And I think I would imagine for someone with severe anxiety and OCD, it's probably not good to, to start drinking heavily. Yeah. 
I, I can imagine he probably unlocked this side of her that was kind of being so filtered. Or just being an overachiever and being so perfect, like a perfect girl, finally having the chance to let loose and, and be a mess. And just she needed that probably after graduating first in your class and fulfilling everyone's expectations. I could see turning into a party girl. Erica and BJ shocked friends when three weeks into their relationship, they eloped in Las Vegas. But the couple hit a rough patch when BJ got sent to Alaska for the Navy. Erica became jealous and forced her new husband to choose between her and the SEALs. BJ chose love. The newlyweds moved back to Erica's hometown where, with the help of her parents, she opened a scrapbooking store called Memory Lane. They also started selling merchandise on eBay to make extra cash. Their biggest selling items were of one variety, Hooters. Here's Melanie. Hooters was a big obsession for Erica. Yes, the restaurant chain that focuses on the waitress's breasts. She loved the food and the ambiance, but more than that, she loved the merch. She collected hats, shirts, cups, really anything that she could get her hands on. It was described as kind of like a fetish for her. I just don't understand it. It was just the brand she liked. I really like hope that it's ironic. No, but that's crazy. Maybe she really liked orange. I don't know. Or maybe it was, again, tying back to she had this strict upbringing, this idea that a woman could be free and do what she wanted with her body. Maybe that was something that she had never been able to do. And BJ was bringing that side out of her with the partying. And so maybe Hooters kind of encompassed all of that fun. So a really good point. BJ got even into a worst obsession at 23 years old, became obsessed with the Aryan lifestyle. He got a swastika tattoo on his chest, huge. This guy was like just out of control. He got pet snakes that he named Hitler and HIV, like things that kill people. The pair were becoming really bad influences on each other. They were partying a lot, doing cocaine and just getting worse and worse, just feeding each other's bad habits. When Erica met BJ, he was the straight-laced Navy SEAL, and now all of a sudden he's getting a massive swastika tattoo on his chest, and it's a big shift. So I wonder what is going on in their heads, if she's into that, if she's okay with it, what are her parents thinking? I mean, they're living at their parents' house. Yeah. This is making Erica's obsession with Hooters look a lot better. That is true. And he's cute. He's like, looks like a preppy, good college boy. He didn't shave his head or anything like that. He had like the cute face, all of that. And then this huge swastika tattoo on his chest. Insane. So how did these two couples meet in the beachside paradise of Ocean City? And what happened to them? On the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, four days before the missing persons report was filed, Jeannie and Josh were at a local bar watching a Boston Celtics game. Josh called his brother at 9.30 p.m. to say they were going bar hopping. It would be the last time anyone would ever hear from the couple. May 31st, 2002, two days after the missing persons report was filed, police received a call about an alarm going off at a restaurant at 2 a.m. When an officer arrived, he saw a couple stealing hats and t-shirts and loading them into the car. The couple was Erica and BJ, and the restaurant was Hooters. The officer cuffed them both, and as he waited for backup, Erica started to have a panic attack. She begged for the officer to get Xanax out of her purse. While that usually would go against protocol, the officer decided to make an exception. Per her instructions, he located the pills in her purse, 
but that is not all he found. Inside her clutch were four shell casings, a knife, and two driver's licenses. The licenses belonged to Jeannie and Josh, the couple who had been reported missing just two days prior. How did Erica and BJ know the missing couple, and were they involved in their disappearance? Here's Jeff. So when more cops arrived, Erica and BJ were officially arrested and cops searched the couple's Jeep and amongst all the Hooters gear, they found a parking pass for a local condo complex. Thinking that Jeannie and Josh might be there and in danger, they rushed over and convinced a manager to let them in without a warrant. So they go in and Jeannie and Josh were not inside, but what they did find was a stack of photos that got their attention. In between all these pictures of Erica and BJ enjoying the beach and playing mini golf, they found pictures of the missing couple. Now, this proved immediately that there was definitely a link between these two couples. Then the CSI team arrived. They did a full sweep of the unit, and they realized that the bathroom looked like it had been completely renovated. Fresh drywall, a new door. So... They just started wondering, you know, why would anyone staying for a long weekend do that? And then police peeled back the paint on the wall and found actual bullet holes. Upon closer inspection, they saw that blood lined the floor. It seemed that Erica and BJ had done something really horrible in the unit and tried really hard to cover up the crime. But where were Jeannie and Josh? Well, so let's go back. So Erica and BJ are in Ocean City having a good time. And they end up getting arrested for trying to steal from Hooters. Yes. Which is the dumbest way. I mean, if you just committed a, a crime, which it seems like a, a worse crime, which it seems like they did now that we know about this blood and the bullet holes, why are you then stealing from Hooters in the middle of the night? And then on top of that, why do you ask for the cop to go into your purse if you know there's bullet casings and the IDs of the deceased that you may have killed? I mean... The only explanation is that she was trying to get caught. It wouldn't make sense otherwise. Right. Or she's so cocky and thinks that she can get away with anything that the police aren't going to put it together. Or she's panicking and they and, and forgot. That's crazy. I, I just can't believe that. It's crazy, too, because cops aren't supposed to administer medication like that. So, I mean, on the one hand, she got lucky that that cop would break protocol and give her the Xanax. But also the cops got lucky that that cop broke protocol because they might have not found the IDs and the bullet casings. That's an excellent point. It is an excellent point. At the station, Erica and BJ were separated. At 4 a.m., detectives first tried to speak with BJ. He told them if they wanted to know what happened, they should ask his wife, and that he wouldn't say anything else without a lawyer. His wife, Erica, proved to be much more of an open book. And so Erica started first by telling the cops how they met Jeannie and Josh. She says that on Saturday night, Erica and BJ were headed to a nightclub, you know, via a shuttle. But they realized that they needed exact change to get on. Then Josh comes in, offers to pay for their fare. And once they got to the club, Erica and BJ buy them a drink to thank them. And that's how they meet. Kindness. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. So after hours of dancing and drinking, the club was starting to close. I mean, it was late at night and the couple just wanted to keep the party going. So Erica and BJ go, hey guys, come back to our condo. So off go Jeannie and Josh to Erica and BJ's condo. They keep drinking. After a few drinks, Erica notices that her purse goes missing. Well, she starts looking for it everywhere and then she accuses Jeannie of taking it. This big argument ensues. It got so bad that at one point Erica called 911 and tried to report the stolen purse, but she was kind of making no sense on the call and sounds a little confused and disoriented. And before the dispatcher can get any real information out of her, the call got disconnected. So that call was never linked to the crime till after the fact. But what she said was that after that call got disconnected, that BJ actually got so worked up, he pulled a gun on Jeannie and Josh. They were denying stealing the purse and BJ had the idea that he should get them naked to prove that they didn't have it on their bodies. So they obliged and once they were naked, no purse appeared. And Erica and BJ weren't sure what to do at that moment. And it was then that Jeannie and Josh ran into the bathroom and locked the door trying to hide. BJ got so mad he kicked down the door and Josh begged to know why they were doing this. 
According to Erica, it was at this point that her husband said, see you later, motherfucker, and shot him in the head. At this point, Jeannie was terrified and she was hiding under the vanity, begging for her life. In this brutal fashion, Erica described that her cries were like a baby whimpering. And at this point, BJ shot her twice. While Erica claimed not to have seen the actual killings, she did have a big role in disposing of the bodies. Erica and BJ cut off Jeannie's and Josh's arms, legs, and heads and put them into different dumpsters. A few days later, police found Jeannie's leg and Josh's torso in a landfill. When the police interrogated the couple again, BJ still remained tight-lipped, but Erica had a lot more to say. She told cops that she only covered up the heinous murders because she was afraid if she didn't, BJ would kill her too. She started telling police that BJ was controlling and abusive, both physically and emotionally, a story that could never be corroborated. So they were skeptical of this whole battered wife story. They're not believing it, but they still feel like they need Erica if they want to convict BJ. So they offer her this whole deal. They're like, okay, you testify against him and then we'll give you a plea deal. The only caveat was that she had to pass a polygraph test to prove that she wasn't lying. And this is where everything changes, okay? Because right before the polygraph, the cops like do this pre-interview thing where they ask her a bunch of questions and Erica changes the story. She goes from like not having a role at all in the killing to admitting this tiny minor little detail. She admits to the cops that after BJ shot Jeannie, he tells her, go make sure that Jeannie's dead. And instead of just checking her pulse, what she did was take a knife and stab her. This changed everything. Immediately, the plea deal was off the table because Erica was a killer herself. And now both Erica and BJ would be going to trial for murder. It just seems crazy that they kill the couple and then dismember them in such a way. Like that has, to me, seems like it would have to be a little planned or premeditated because where do you even get the tools to dismember someone at, you know, in the middle of the night? Yeah, it's really strange. It doesn't make any sense to me also that they would spend so much time renovating the bathroom to hide the blood and the bullet holes, but then getting caught robbing a Hooters with their IDs in the, in the purse. It's like they spend so much time covering certain things up, but then made the biggest mistakes in other ways. They needed the t-shirts, like they needed these hats. You know what I mean? No, that is crazy. You paint the entire bathroom, you get a new door, you do all that, and you're like, now all we need is new new Hooters merch. Well, and that Erica was so forthcoming. Like, she spilled the beans right away. What do you guys make of that? I just think, I think it's a lack of IQ here. I mean, it just, it's gotta be. But we know she's smart. I mean, she was the number one student in her class. That's that's a, that's an argument. But I also, when you're when you're having an anxiety attack, I think fight or flight mode takes in, and she's not thinking of the licenses that are next to the Xanax. But when she gets questioned, she's she's so forthcoming, which makes me think of a spoiled brat kind of who like thinks she can get away with everything that maybe she's going to find a way to blame BJ for being abusive. And she was afraid of him. And he's the one with the SWAT sticker tattoo, you know, so like you could easily blame any death or whatever on him. But insane that, that she would admit to that right away. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think she thought she would get away with it. And also, I think Erica was just book smart. I, I honestly don't think Erica was very smart at, you know, just logic stuff. I think she was just book smart because these are big mistakes. I find it interesting too that BJ, the only thing he'll say to the police before he lawyers up is go ask my wife. So he's kind of trying to maybe point the finger at her, not as explicitly as she pointed it at him, but 
there are already kind of cracks in that once very tight relationship as soon as they get in trouble. Yeah, it took them really no time to start pointing fingers at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not a very strong marriage. And is anyone else getting natural born killers vibes here? The Oliver Stone movie? That's kind of like the same characters, right? The Woody Harrelson character with the tattoos and the snakes and then like Juliet Lewis. I don't know. I can totally imagine them like watching that movie and being super inspired. Wow. She kind of looks like Juliet Lewis with that smirk. There's a vibe. Good analogy, Mal. I mean, it's interesting too that the pictures of mini golf and all the fun they were having on their vacation were taken after the photos of Jeannie and Josh. So that means that they allegedly commit this heinous, heinous crime and then go out and continue on their fun beach vacation. Jeez, yeah. The back-to-back trial started in April 2003 with BJ going first. The snake and swastika-loving former Navy SEAL claimed that during the killings he was asleep in the car and only found out what happened when he came upstairs and his wife was standing over two dead bodies. At her trial, Erica stuck with her story about being afraid of BJ's violent temper. So at BJ's trial, there was a surprise witness no one was expecting. A woman named Melissa Selling testified that Memorial Day weekend, she and her boyfriend had also met the killer couple and had an eerily similar experience. After drinking at a bar together, BJ and Erica invited them back to their condo. Once they got there, Erica accused Melissa of stealing her purse. BJ pulls out a gun. Luckily, when he turns away, Melissa and her boyfriend are able to escape. Sound familiar? Let's stop here for another break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, 
uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The big question for me is why? Why would this good-looking couple who were clearly smart and had opportunities be stealing from Hooters and killing people? We did a little bit of research and a term that kind of came to mind with this particular crime is thrill kill. And a thrill kill is a premeditated or random murder that is motivated by the sheer excitement of the act. And it seems that Erica and BJ kind of fit into this because they each had a darkness and when they got together, those desires were finally set free. Think about them stealing from Hooters, the whole reason they got caught. They really only did this for fun. They didn't need to steal the t-shirts and hats. And at the trial, it was argued that the murders were premeditated, which would also fit into this idea of a thrill kill. The reason the prosecutors were able to argue that it was premeditated is because blood was only found in the bathroom. The big question is how could you kill two people, dismember them without getting blood anywhere else except the bathroom? Experts argued that they drove to Ocean City with the plan to kill. Erica got a tattoo in the same place that she stabbed Jeannie. She was also wearing Josh's bloody ring around a chain on her neck. It seemed like they were proud of what they did. And another disgusting detail that we cannot ignore, guys, is that Erica claimed that BJ suggested eating their victims, but that she said no, she wouldn't do that. So they clearly just each had their demons. We may never know exactly what happened that weekend or why they did it. BJ was ultimately convicted of second-degree murder and first-degree assault in Jeannie's death. But in a shocking turn of events, he was acquitted of all charges in Josh's death. Members of the jury claimed the state simply didn't make a persuasive enough case that BJ actually pulled the trigger on Josh. He was sentenced to 38 years in prison. Just recently, on April 28, 2022, BJ was refused parole. Erica, on the other hand, was convicted of first-degree murder in the death of Josh and second-degree murder in the death of Jeannie. She was sentenced to life in prison plus 20 years for good measure. I want to ask you guys about your podcast, Sacred Scandal, in that the alleged murderer stabbed this nun, Sister Michelle, what is it, like 99 times? 92 times. 92 times. And to me, we hear the term overkill, which I'm sure you guys have heard. 
I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a parallel between the brutalness of the crime. I mean, how do you guys relate this story to that story? Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast? In our case, this is a, a boy that had been abused, allegedly, by these priests. And then he lashes out against not the people that were hurting him, but this innocent nun, right? So we have the killing of innocent people that have not done anything. That's a similarity. But to me, the biggest similarity was when people were describing the killers here, Erica and BJ. It happened a lot like that with our subject of Sacred Scandal with Mihailo Kofel. Half of the people were like, Mihailo was really quiet and never spoke. And then some other people were like, no, they're really outgoing and they were really talkative. In reading about this case, a lot of people were saying that about Erica. She was mysterious and quiet. And then a lot of people were like, no, she was really happy and easy go lucky. With people like this, I think there's a dual personality where they are different to different people. I think that's a common link here. What do you think, Mel? I would say a big, big difference is that nothing about Erica and BJ really inspires sympathy on any level to me. They just seem like very awful people, to be honest. Whereas Mihailo Kofel, I mean, he came from a really poor family in, in Ukraine. He was recruited when he was 14 years old. He was allegedly sexually abused by this priest. He had a lot of mitigating circumstances that weighed against this horrible crime he committed, which is why he was offered a plea deal. I would feel a lot safer living in a world where Mihailo Kofil is out in the street than BJ with the swastika tattoo and the HIV snake. Let's put it that way. I feel like BJ is a lot more of a dangerous person than, than than Mihailo was. In your podcast too, which is so interesting and you guys kind of explore is like when do you stop being a victim and start being a predator? And so you wonder, does everyone who commits a crime like that, do they have trauma in their past? And it makes me think maybe Erica something bad happened to her that kind of broke her psyche and she then crossed a line between being a victim turning into a predator. Yeah. If it's a thrill kill, then that would mean that there's some sort of either sexual excitement or some sort of excitement with killing and death. And I think that's got to originate in trauma because I cannot see that being a natural thing in our DNA. Do you think having worked with Mihailo and kind of getting into his head about how he feels now after the fact, you know, you feel remorse from him, but you see a lack of remorse in Erica and BJ. I mean, she's wearing the bloody ring around her neck. She's getting a tattoo in the same place she allegedly stabbed genie there's definitely a lack of remorse definitely and what do you make of that i still can't believe that all he got was second degree murder and only assault of genie guys what <laughs> there's no way erica could have done all this by herself yeah erica 100 pounds knocked down that door right absolutely not definitely had the better lawyer but can we talk about how that woman that said that the same thing had happened to her that's something right they might have had a little game where they pretend like Erica's purse is missing. I mean, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like they were about to do it again. And for some reason they changed their minds and they let them go or, or something. They ran away. I agree. It definitely points to this is their plan. But then it makes me wonder why would Erica call 911 to report her purse stolen? That's how premeditated it is that she's establishing a defense, right? She's like, well, I called because I was sure I was being robbed and this was self-defense. That's a good point. And she hung up before she could give any information. So maybe she was smart after all. She did think it through. You always hear a woman should never go home alone with a man, but you think if you're in a group or a couple, then you're safe. And that clearly is not necessarily the case. Right. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. Season three of the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County is in the works. We want to hear from you for the upcoming season. 
Do you have a story to tell, a connection to Pike County, or is there another case local to Pike County that you can't let go of? Please email info at kt-studios.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.